The text will be in John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Just one verse that I'd like you to turn your attention to. John chapter 15, of course, this is Jesus speaking here. and He's actually speaking to his first church, the group of disciples in an upper room, laying down some very important instruction. And he says this right in the middle of the conversation. John 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Let's bow our heads in prayer, if you would. Father, we come before you and we are thankful for this day. Thankful for all that you've given us, the week that you've brought us through, Lord, and maybe the different struggles that we've each faced. We're here now, gathered in your presence, and our hearts full of the praises that we've lifted up to you. And Lord, help us to be ready to receive your word. Take the distractions that would come in our our way and the things that would divert our attention. Lord, help us to be open-minded, with open hearts and open ears. I ask the Lord that you would speak to us by your spirit and by your word this morning. That you would help us to understand what you would have us to know, Lord, and that you give me speaking grace. And that all things might be done for your glory and in your name I ask this. Amen. So tomorrow's Memorial Day. Most of us are, well I should say some of us, I have to work, but most of us are looking forward to the the day off, maybe to spend some time with family, or maybe just not going to work and do a lot of nothing. But it's kind of the official kickoff for summer, right? The first weekend that kind of gets us in summer mode. There'll be barbecues and pool parties, though if the weather continues, most people will be hanging out in the spa. But it's a time to just get off work and relax. And so, and for so many, it's just a three-day weekend. I think, sadly, in too many cases, little to no thought is given for what the day is really all about. I mean, after all, it is Memorial Day. What are we supposed to remember again? What is, in this, what is this in memory of? I came across a poem entitled, A Memorial Day Prayer by... Helen Steiner Rice, I don't know if you've heard this, I'm sure you have heard a couple of the lines, but I think it puts it nicely. She writes, they served and fought and died so that we might be safe and free. Grant them, O Lord, eternal peace and give them victory. And in these days of unrest filled with grave uncertainty, let's not forget the price they paid to keep our country free. And so on this Memorial Day, we offer up a prayer May the people of this nation be united in thy care. And grant us understanding and teach us how to live so we may lose our selfish pride and learn to love and give. And keep us ever mindful of the fighting men who sleep in Arlington and foreign lands so we may ever keep the light of freedom burning in their honor through the years and hear their cry for peace resounding in our ears. Forgive us our transgressions, and God be with us yet, lest in our pride and arrogance we heedlessly forget. And I think there's too many that have forgotten. We're supposed to be in our beginnings series, being that it's the end of the month, and look at the Old Testament, some things that go on there, and apply them today. But as I was 
studying the subject for this morning that we would have been, I came across this phrase in, in the book of Exodus. And it says, Now there arose up a new king in Egypt, which knew not Joseph. There was a failure to pass on some things about what Joseph had done and who he was and why he was important to the nation, not just to God's people, but to the nation of Egypt. And they forgot. Someone forgot to tell him. It also brings to mind this verse in Judges, where the Bible says, And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which He had done for Israel. A generation came up, they didn't know God, and they weren't told about what He had done for Israel. You see, they forgot what they were supposed to remember. Slowly, over time, over the course of a generation or two, the things that should have been remembered became forgotten. Things that were to be talked about in the home. The book of Deuteronomy tells us this. They were to be talked about in the home. They were to be hung on the doorpost. They were to be so precious it's like a necklace around your neck. And they were to be told to your children and your children's children. So when they ask what do these things mean, you tell them and point them back to God. But people got too busy, too distracted. And those things left by the wayside so that the product was a generation that didn't know anything about God. And I suspect there is a generation, if not coming up or in the making, that needs to be reminded why we have Memorial Day. And why it's important. Quite frankly, most kids today don't give a rip about soldiers or why they died. To be so blunt. But yet, the blood spilt to purchase that freedom is what gives them the ability to feel that way and speak that way. Memorial Day is a day that we set aside as a nation here to remember and honor those that have given their lives in service to this country. Now perhaps some don't know and they haven't been told or perhaps some don't care. Whatever the case is, we need to tell them and we need to pass on why it is important. It was passed on to me. I was told by my grandfather and by my father and my mother that this is important. That these freedoms we enjoy are important. And in thinking about this, the the text that we read this morning has been on my mind, where Jesus says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now, listen, I know that's a loaded passage, and if you, you think with a biblical mind, you start thinking of all the things that it could mean, but... I don't think we pull it too far out of context when I take this simple truth that Jesus says... And apply it to the fallen soldiers who have given their lives for us. There are so many, so many that have made the ultimate sacrifice. Just between the Civil War and World War II, the total of fallen soldiers, those who have died, is over a million. So many that have been willing to die for freedom. They placed their own life on the line to defend it because they love this country. They love what it stands for. They love the liberty that we have here. They love the freedoms that we enjoy. 
And they laid down their life in defense of the blessings that God has showered down on America. We, unlike any other nation in history, have been particularly and specially blessed by God. The religious freedom that we have, the freedom to to better ourselves through capitalism or gaining money or whatever it is, the ability to purchase and own land, the freedom that we have of speech is unlike any other country. And we ought to count it a blessing by God. People love that and they lay, they lay down their life in defense of that. Brave men, brave women, willing to place themselves in front of a bullet to stand in defense. Willing to go on, on the soil of foreign countries so that we here may live in peace. I want to make clear, in case, there's, in case you don't know, I, from the way I've been talking, I believe that is an honorable thing. I believe it is an honorable thing to stand in defense, to serve in the armed forces, to give your life in that way. I believe it is worthy of recognition, worthy of honor. And yes, I believe it deserves time behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning in church. Some would try to separate that. Listen, we're not one of those churches with a bunch of idiots that protest at military funerals. That is absurd. One of the reasons I stand freely behind this pulpit is because there are those who have defended our right to do so. And so we ought to honor them. We ought to spend some time thinking about their sacrifice. And I am so thankful that they've done that. I'm thankful for the brave men and women that are willing to place themselves in the line of fire, to give up their lives even in defense of this country. They are willing to protect me. Willing to protect my family and my freedom. But they've never met me. They don't know my name. They don't know where I live. But yet they would die to protect me. They would die to protect you. Sometimes without a moment's hesitation, they are there to stop the enemy or to give their lives in service. That is a love that in many ways transcends humanity. And though I may not know their names or faces, I'm proud to call them my friends because they have laid down their life for me. I think it's good that we take time to to think about that. People have died so that you might be free. People have died so that I might be free. People have died to keep these colors waving. And so you can imagine what an offense it is when people burn the flag. You can imagine when people kneel during a national anthem, those that have given their lives should find it a great offense, and we also. People died for this country and for the freedom that we enjoy. And there's a long line of them. A long line of men and women who are selfless in the giving of their own lives. We ought to be thankful for what they fought for. Those who stepped up to answer the call, those who never came home. Think about those maybe around, oh, 
1776 or so. Well, that's a long time ago. Well, yeah, it is. And it's also a very important time. To me, those are absolutely amazing individuals. When this country was being born, when the freedoms we enjoy were being uh, hammered out as to what was uh, important and what people should fight for, these were men and women with backbone, with vision. Can you, you ever think about what they did? They stood up to an existing country who had some rule over them and they said, no way, no more. We are not going to be under your rule. We are not going to worship the way you tell us. We're not going to pay your taxes. We are declaring ourselves our own country. We will be free. What did Paul Henry say? I believe his name is. Give me liberty or give me death. That's what was in their hearts to do so. And they stepped up and they fought for it. (laughs) If you don't like it, come stop us. We'll be here waiting. Against a, a nation with a far better army against a nation with a far better navy who had better training, better resources, more money. All of it looked against our favor. But yet England lacked one thing. You see, we were fighting to be free. We were fighting to be free, to protect our land, to protect our families. And when a man fights for freedom, not much can stand in the way. Well, in case you didn't know, we won. That's why we have the 4th of July here in just a couple minutes, and, or a couple months, excuse me. And the freedoms we were fighting for were, were built into this nation. That's where they came from. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, they're not just thought up by great political, brilliant minds. They were blood-bought. They died for those freedoms. One of the greatest freedoms we have here is the freedom of religion. There at the beginning is what they were fighting for is what was put in to our nation's founding documents. Along with other biblical principles, biblical morality, biblical freedoms. Why else do you think theft is a crime? Or murder? Where do you think they got that from? Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. These things were put in place at the birth of our nation by men and women who knew the importance of it. The Declaration of Independence declares this line, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator, capital C. There is a belief in God. They are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For some of you, that's taken you way back to school when you had to memorize that and I remember at one time, I think, I had to memorize the whole preamble and write it out. And I don't know that I could again, but this has stuck with me. All men are created equal by their Creator and given some rights. These, these, These principles were put in place at the birth of our nation with people that died for them because they know they are that important. These principles are that important. Things that they died for way back then that allow us to be right here, right now, doing what we're doing. So I'm thankful for those soldiers who sought to establish a land of the free. Think about those, oh, maybe around 1945 or so. 
those who crossed the sea to stand against an evil leader with an evil agenda who is well on his way to world domination. Those who willingly went to the aid of other countries facing the advance of the Nazi regime. Jews were being slaughtered by the millions. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible fallacy and tragedy that I hear things going around about the Holocaust was not real. That's insane. That's insane. That today's people would try to make that a lie or fabricated or conspiracy or whatever other things they come up with. Millions of Jews were slaughtered just because they were Jews. By Hitler. By the Nazis. This was going on. This happened not too long ago. And we as a country rose to help. Men and women crossed the sea to give their aid to countries over there. Our own soil had been attacked, Pearl Harbor. You can see the ship still there underneath the, the water, with bodies still in it, by the way. They went to help. They went to defend. Thousands upon thousands never, never came home. Some 400,000 plus gave their lives in World War II. In fact, we call them the greatest generation. That is a fitting name by men and women who rose to defend our freedom and to give aid to the freedom of other countries. Or think maybe about those around 2001 or so. You see, that one I remember. I remember September 11th. I remember people telling me to run up in the break room and watch what had just happened on TV. I remember seeing all those images as they came across the scene. I watched the second plane hit the towers. I watched people jump out windows to die rather than burn. I remember that feeling. The feeling of fear. The feeling of anger. The feeling of pride as the president basically said, watch out, we're coming. I remember the response of our own country as we rose to defend our own soil against the attack of enemies. And make no mistake, that's exactly what it was. It wasn't some people who did something. It was an attack against our people. And let me just say, if that woman is so bent on bringing that here, she can go back. Some people who did something. No, I watched people die on TV before my eyes. And there were those men and women who rose up to answer the call to defend our freedom. By an enemy that would see us dead and destroyed. Against an enemy that would see us dead and destroyed. And in many ways that conflict is still going on and there are still men and women engaged in this, um, this defense. I'm thankful for them. I'm proud to call them my fellow countrymen. I'm proud to call them my friends. Now listen, there's other wars. Yes, I know the Civil War in Vietnam and Korea and all that. I don't have time to list them all. But in, 
And, and I know there are some that are surrounded by political nonsense, which is a shame. Because in each of those wars, each of those conflicts, our soldiers have paid the ultimate price. They went to defend us, and some never came home. They gave their lives. Laying down their lives for their friends, which are you and me, to defend us and to defend our freedom. I just want to say this morning, I believe they are worthy of honor. And it is important we remember their sacrifice. It is important we teach our kids why we have tomorrow off. And when Veterans Day comes around, tell them, you know, tell them when they see a, 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 man, or woman, a man or woman in a uniform, go up and tell them thank you. Or you see a, a, an older man wearing one of those hats that says Vietnam or USS Battleship, whatever it is. They're a vet that answered the call. Tell them, go tell them thank you. And you do so yourself. These are honorable men and women who have given so much for us and our freedom. And to anyone who might be listening this morning whose loved one has given their life in service to this country, we say thank you and may God bless you for that. So think of that tomorrow. Because there's some who wish their husband, their wife, or their son could be there at the barbecue with them instead of buried in another country or buried beneath a flag that's folded up and on their mantle. Now I know tomorrow is a strictly an American holiday to remember those who defend our freedoms, but can I ask you to consider something else? Maybe this morning or tomorrow and every day after that, we are extremely grateful to our fallen soldiers and we must, must teach the next generation to be as well. And I don't want to detract from anything that I've just said. But they are not the only ones to give their lives for a righteous cause. Can I ask you as well to consider all of those men and women who have laid down their lives for the faith? For the truth, as the Bible proclaims it. We've lost many soldiers. We've lost many, many more faithful brothers and sisters. There is a trail of blood that leads to the cross. Blood that is spilled by those who would not waver for the faith once delivered to the saints. And time does not tell this morning to... Time does not permit this morning to tell of all those different groups and all those different people and all the different names who down through history since Christ have stood firm on what the Bible says. And that history recorded most often by people who sought their death. Those who stood firm against infant baptism. Those who stood firm against the papacy and Rome and her children. Those who stood firm against any form of perversion of the gospel, firm against the dissolving of the local church and her ordinances, even when it cost them everything. Many were burned at the stake because they would not bow down. They would not recant their faith. They would not worship any other. They would not worship Caesar. 
History tells us of those that were told to renounce Jesus Christ, bow down and proclaim Caesar as God, and everything would be fine. And they would not. So the children were taken first, tortured, killed, parents told to recant. They would not. And so the wife was taken next. The same was done to her. They would watch their spouses burned at the stake or flayed alive. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Or boiled in oil or many other terrible things. And yet the husband would not. It's Christ alone and no one else. Sometimes his life would be taken, sometimes not. But they would not bend. They would not bow to Mary. They would not bow to Caesar. They would not bow to anyone else but Christ alone. They were tortured in inhumane and brutal ways, most often at the hands of the uh, the religious institutions, even ones that would call themselves Christian. And yet they would not bend on the faith because they know They knew what this meant. Everything. They knew what the Bible says, and what the Bible says is what I must do. No other question. And they counted this. They counted the Savior. They counted His body greater than their own lives. You see, this faith on which we stand, the the doctrines that we teach and the landmarks, we call them, that we hold to, they're important. They are very important. The the doctrines that we don't move on, salvation by grace and believer's baptism and the local church, things like that, they matter because they have been given to us, not only by Scripture, but they've been passed down to us by faithful men and women who have died for these things. Can you imagine if some of them were here today to listen to some of the the conversation that goes on? Ah, baptism doesn't matter. Hold on a minute. I died for that. I died because I said you must be saved before you are baptized. You must... That that comes after, not before. But yet it it is a... command that the Bible gives us, not to be given to a baby or someone who is a non-believer, but to somebody who has been saved. I gave my life for that. And you're telling me now it doesn't matter? Oh, we've fallen far away from some things. I want you to know this morning that the doctrines that we hold to, the positions we believe the Bible teaches us, Yes, even why we call ourselves Baptists. They're not just one flavor of many. It is the faith. Singular. The faith. Turn in your Bibles this morning to a couple places. Philippians chapter 1. I want you to see what Scripture says. Oh, pastor, you're just getting up there and saying things the pastor's supposed to and trying to be narrow-minded. It's not... Me who says this, it's the Bible. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. 
Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you, or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, there is a a belief, a system of practices that the Bible, the gospel declares, and we are to strive together for that faith. It doesn't say striving together in faith, does it? It says striving together for the faith. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jude, right before Revelation. The book of Jude just has one chapter. I want you to look at verse 3. Jude, in verse 3, says, Beloved, when I gave diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, let me just stop right there and say, anywhere, any place, any people that proclaim the Bible, excuse me, that proclaim the gospel as the Bible declares it, to proclaim man as a sinner and Jesus as Savior, and somebody hears that and the Spirit draws them and convicts them of their own sin, and if they cry out to the Lord for salvation, I don't care where you are, I don't care who you are, I don't care who's preaching it, if that happens, that person will be saved. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You aren't saved Just because you're a member of a church, in fact, church membership doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. You don't have to be in His church to be saved. If someone hears the gospel and repents of their sin and believes in Christ for everlasting salvation, that person is saved. So there is a salvation, let's say, that is common. There's a lot of churches out there, isn't there? Just, where were we? Euclid Street in Ontario, right? We're just driving by church, 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 church. Some are even like right next door to each other. San Dimas is kind of the same way. There's a lot of churches around here in Glendora. and There's a lot of places around. Is every one of them right? It just can't be that way, actually. But I don't care if every building on that block preaches the gospel. People there will be saved. There is a salvation that is common. But notice what Jude goes on to say, okay? He says, I gave all diligence to write to you of the common salvation, but it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once for all delivered unto the saints. That you should earnestly contend. That word is agonizo. Agony. Agonize over. There is something you need to fight for to the death if it means so. You should earnestly contend for what? The faith. The Bible doesn't use words carelessly. The writers of Scripture are under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write these things specifically. There is a common salvation, yes, but you are to contend for the faith. One more passage, 2 Timothy. Just a few books to the left in your Bible. Right before the book of Hebrews, you'll find Hebrews and 2 Timothy is a couple pages over. 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is Paul. Actually, 2 Timothy is the last letter that Paul would write shortly before his death. It's kind of his last will and testament, if you you will. And I want you to notice what he says in verse... uh, Oh, let's pick it up in verse 6. 
2 Timothy 4 and 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He says, I'm going to die. I'm ready for it. My time is up. Verse 7. I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. (laughs) What a thing to say. I hope I can say that at the end of my life. Did he say, I've, I've, I've stayed faithful? That's not what he said. He says, I've kept the faith. What he's talking about here, and what there's many other places in Scripture we won't go to this morning, but it's talk, not talking about having faith in something. It's talking about following a system of belief, a system of practice, of the faith, the way to live, the what to believe, the what to hold to that Christ has given to us, that is given to us in Scripture. The faith is what we are to believe. The faith is how we are to act. The faith is what a church is to be, what she is to teach, what she is to stand on. And the faith is important. If someone was to come to tell you that thou shalt not bear false witness or thou shalt not lie, is not a commandment, what would you say? You're wrong, right? Well, how do you know that? Because the Bible says it. In fact, I could take you to Exodus chapter 20 and show you right there that God says, thou shalt not lie or thou shalt not steal. Using that, because we're all familiar with the Ten Commandments, right? If somebody says something against the Bible, do we believe it? Do we follow it? No. Because the Bible has been given to us to tell us what we need to know, what we need to believe, what we need to follow, how we should act. And let me just say, there's a lot of people that have departed the faith. Sometimes the gospel can be offensive when you hear about man is a sinner and damned to hell for eternity. It, is, it, can, it can be offensive to the flesh when you lay, somebody, you lay out to somebody by Scripture that if they were to die in the next moment, they would open their eyes in eternal torment in a place called hell. That offends the flesh. People don't like to hear it. They get uncomfortable because it's scary. It makes me feel bad. I'm a sinner. I'm guilty. There's nothing I can do. I'm facing God's judgment. Well, that's what the Bible says. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. And praise God that He sent His Son to die for us. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There is a way that we can escape hell. There is a way that we can escape the judgment of God. That is by faith in Christ. By confessing our sins to Him, asking forgiveness, believing in Him to save us. That is the Gospel in 30 seconds. But the first part makes people... Uh, uncomfortable. And you can see across the land that slowly by slowly and bit by bit, hell isn't mentioned anymore. Conviction isn't mentioned anymore. Even to the point where sin stops being mentioned. That is a departure from the faith. You need to know what you have to be saved from. It's an eternity in hell and a judgment that you face before God. 
That's why we need the cross, and that makes the cross so much sweeter that God has loved me so much that He would send His own Son to die for my sins. If something goes against Scripture, we are not to follow. We are to follow what the Bible says. We are to contend for the faith. And may this church contend for what the Bible says about the Gospel. May this church continually contend for what it says about baptism when we we follow Him and we commit our lives to Him and what the church is to be and what's coming, that Jesus Christ is coming soon and there are some things that may take place and We are to live in light of that. May we earnestly contend for those things and not move on them. Even if it means our death. Because there are so many of our forefathers and our foremothers that have done the very same. People like those mentioned in Hebrews 11. We don't have time to go there, but it tells of people who are faithful. Faithful to death. They held on to it through the ages. It was taught to each generation. My grandparents taught my father. Somebody taught them. Somebody taught the person that witnessed to my grandma way back in Kansas. Where was it, Missouri? Or Arkansas? Somewhere back there. Somebody that invited her to church. Somebody told that person why it was important that we go out and seek the salvation of people. And somebody taught them, and it's all on the way back to... The time Christ was teaching His very disciples. People held to these things. They were faithful to it. And now it's our turn to teach the generations coming up. 2 Timothy 2 says this, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou unto faithful men. Don't just commit some of it. The very same, how we have heard it, how we have seen it in Scripture, we are to teach the same to the generations coming up who will be able to teach others also. That same faith on which we stand today. Listen, this church isn't man-made. The church is blood-bought. Acts chapter 20 says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, listen, to feed the church of God which He hath purchased with His own blood. That's why Sunday morning is important. That's why Sunday afternoon and Wednesday evening are important. That's why it's important what we teach and Why we go over the Scriptures? Because it is blood-bought. Not only with the blood of Christ, but those who stayed faithful to this, even to their own death. And I wonder this morning, can we do the same? (laughs) I think, I think those who have come before us would be amazed in some aspects on how we've been able to study the Scriptures and see the truths that are there. And maybe some things that we understand that have comes along with just spending time with the Scriptures. But I think there are some things they would be appalled at too. We can't get to church because of a traffic jam. They met underground in caves filled with dead bodies. If... <clears throat> if there were police standing outside that door, it says, you can't go in here or you'll be under arrest. Some of us, maybe not all of us, maybe not any of us, maybe all of us, some of us would 
might just turn around and say, nope, not me. I'm not putting my family through that. And there were others in history who would not stop serving Him. Renounce Christ or I take your kids. Nope, I will not. Renounce Christ or I kill your family. I will not. Renounce Christ even at being bound to the, the, the burning stake with the piles of wood at their feet and a torch held by a Roman soldier. Renounce Christ. Renounce your church. Renounce baptism. No, I will not. There are, there are accounts even as the flames were lit and their bodies burned, of them singing hymns at the top of their lungs, of them preaching the gospel to those who were standing around, of those praying aloud and giving thanks to Christ that they were coming home. Can we do the same? Would we do the same? I hope so. And it's not too far off in the future. We might just get our chance to step up to that level. To have our names recorded in heaven along those faithful martyrs who died for the faith. I just want to say this morning, I am thankful for their sacrifice too. I am thankful for their faithfulness. And in glory, someday I hope to tell them face to face. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Soldiers of the cross who died for the faith. Greater love hath no man than he lay down his life for his friends. That's not just talking about, can't just be applied to soldiers, but to those who have laid down their life for the faith. Last thing I'd like you to consider as we get ready to close, okay, that what Jesus was actually referencing in that text. In John chapter 15, he's talking about himself. Now listen, don't tune this out, okay? We, we, can, we who've heard the gospel hundreds if not thousands of times, we can kind of get to this mode where we just tune it out. Oh, it's almost done. It's just got a few minutes and it's going to close. I'm going to kind of go in coast mode. No, 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 no. Don't let your mind wander because you're saved and you're good on this, right? It's kind of where we get to. Just because we're saved, I've been saved almost 30 years Just because I'm saved does not make the gospel any less sweet to my ears. Don't we sing a song, tell me the old, old story? I want to hear it again. It it hears sweeter each time I hear it because it is everything to me. It is why I'm going to heaven. It is why I have eternal life because Jesus Christ died for my sins. Without that, I have no hope. Without that, I'm doomed. I'm damned. I'm hellbound for eternity. should be sweet each time we hear it. And if it's not, maybe this morning we need to repent, have some scar tissue removed in our own heart so we can feel the weight of this. Jesus died for us who were sinners. Think about this. All of those soldiers who have died for our freedom, do you think they knew there would be some who would use that freedom to spit in its face? To protest? Against it? To waste this precious gift? Or those about the soldiers of the cross, the, those who have died for the faith, do you, do you think they, would, they knew that there would be some who would forsake and would turn away and start to change the gospel itself? Maybe. 
Maybe not, but listen this morning. I know this. Jesus died to save us when He knew us perfectly. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows every sinful thought you'd ever think. Listen, you can hide stuff from your parents. You can hide stuff from your spouse. You can hide stuff from your kids. You can't hide anything from God. You can put on a smile and seem like everything's fine. God sees right through that down to your heart. And He knows every thought that's crossed your mind. And every thought that will cross your mind. Every sinful word that's come out of your mouth. Every sinful action. Not only before you were saved, but after we were saved too. Every time we trample on His blood when we willfully sin, He knew. Every time that we turn our back on Him and we choose the world, He knew that. Listen, and He still came to save us. He still came to save us. He went steadfastly to that cross to die for those who do not deserve Him. And listen, that's me and that's you. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Romans 5, you can. If not, listen. Romans 5 and verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time or just the right time, uh, Christ died for the ungodly. You understand, you don't clean your life up to come to Christ. You don't try to get some things straight. You come to Him to get clean. And maybe you've done a lot of stupid things. Maybe you've done a lot of bad things. Maybe people have done bad things to you. And maybe life is pretty messed up. I don't know your situation this morning. But I do know this. Christ died for you. To save you from all of that. Verse 7 says, For scarcely for a righteous man will one die... Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Listen, that's what we've been talking about this whole morning. The soldiers are honorable even when they die for those who hate them. Even when they they die for those who, who use that freedom and spit in their face and call them all kinds of names, it's still their death that has bought the other person's freedom. And that's an honorable thing. But listen, we're talking on another level. We're talking about He who is God dying for those who are sinners. God commends His love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave His life for you because He loves you and He wants to save you. He wants to save you from your sin. He wants to save you from your guilt. We already said that Scripture says we have all sinned We all fall short of the glory of God. We've broken His law. We've profaned His nature. And we face judgment for that. Ephesians 2 tells us we cannot be saved by works. We can't work our way out of it, no. The only way we might be saved is by grace through faith in Christ. As He came to this earth 2,000 years ago to give His life, His blood as the perfect precious sacrifice for sin. That we might look to Him and see that He gave our, His life for ours. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He took my place on that cross. He bore the wrath of God, the judgment of God 
for me in my place so that I might be saved. If you will look to Him this morning and believe that He took your place on that cross, ask forgiveness and trust in Him, you too can be saved. He died to redeem us. He died to save us and to spend an eternity with Him in heaven. At the moment you believe, you're born again. That's what the Scripture says. That old man is dead. He's taken away. You are made spiritually alive forever to be with Him by His sacrifice on that cross. I pray that if you've not trusted in Him for your salvation, that you would. May I say it's not just our eternity that's blood-bought. Our life here is too. As being part of His people. As walking with Him. Being part of His body, His bride. We already said that the church is blood-bought, right? For time's sake, let me just tell you what Ephesians 5 says. It says He gave Himself for the church that He might sanctify her and cleanse her with a washing of water to present her to Himself a glorious bride. Not having spot or wrinkle. He does that for us to make us clean. In fact, in John chapter 15, right after he says that greater love hath no man that he lay down his life, he says, listen, I call you my friends, not just my servant. I call you my friends because you're following me. (laughs) Friends who used to be sinners. How much love is that? That Christ has laid down His life so that we might be redeemed to Him and walk with Him and spend forever with Him. I pray that you know that this morning. I pray that is your hope and your trust and your reality. Without Christ, that's not going to happen. Without Jesus, we have judgment. And you have nothing to put forth for your sins. There will come a day when we pass from this life And if we pass from this life without Christ, we open them in eternal torment. A place that's described um, in Luke chapter 16 where a rich man is crying out for just a drop of water. Just one drop of water. It will never come. But those who trust in Christ, those who are saved, will open them to be with Him forever. Eternal peace, eternal joy. That's how much Christ loves you, that He laid down His life for you, if you would believe. Maybe think of that tomorrow too. Remember all that Christ has done for us. Listen, we need to teach the next generations what these things mean. Teach them why we honor soldiers, why we appreciate them, why we thank them, why we remember them. Teach them why this freedom we have in America is a precious, wonderful thing. And why so many are willing and so so many were willing and are willing to die to preserve it. Teach them why uh, what we do here at church is important. Why we don't sound like everyone else out there sometimes. Why we are pretty um, concerned about what the Bible says and sticking to what the Bible says, teach them why. Because men and women have died to preserve that too. 
why we believe and practice the old paths. And please, teach them about Jesus. Teach them about His love, about His salvation, about their own need for a personal Savior. I'm thankful and grateful to all of the brave soldiers of this country who have given their lives for its freedom. And I pray that God would continue to watch over them and bless them. I'm thankful for our forefathers of the faith who have delivered to us the same faith committed to them. And I am eternally thankful, eternally grateful for my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. He saved me, even though I was a sinner. He's continued to lead me, to sanctify and wash me as we walk together. Maybe we ought to be in memorial of these things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your great word, your living word, the things that it tells us, Lord. I am thankful that you have sent Christ to die for our sins, Lord, that we might be redeemed to you. I am thankful for the grace and the mercy that you've had upon us, Lord. I pray now that if there is one here that does not know you as Savior, that these words would land on their heart and your Spirit would show them their own sinful condition, Lord, and that they might be saved if they would turn to Jesus and believe in Him. Lord, I pray that you would draw them by your Spirit that they might be saved before it's eternally too late. I thank you for the faith that you have given us, the faith that you have preserved even to this day, Lord, and that we stand on. Lord, let us count it precious and help us to seek to, to spread it, to, to preserve it, to contend for it if necessary, Lord, that we might teach it to the ones coming up. I am thankful for this country and the way that you have blessed us and the freedoms that you have given us, Lord. Let us not waste them, but take advantage of the freedom we have to speak your name, that we might see people saved, we might see people commit their life to you and live for the coming kingdom. Whatever the need is in the hearts before me, Lord, this morning I pray that you would work as only your spirit can work, that you would draw them to yourself. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen.